This is Dan Fleisch, and this is the first podcast for Chapter 4 of A Student's Guide to Vectors and Tensors. This podcast will cover the first three sections of Chapter 4, which deal with coordinate system transformations, that's Section 4.1. Section 4.2 deals with basis vector transformations, and Section 4.3 compares the two types of transformation that are discussed in Sections 1 and 2. If you were tracking the ideas of the first three chapters of this book, you should by now have realized that vector analysis is a very powerful tool for working all kinds of problems in physics and engineering, and the vector concepts we've employed so far have all dealt with vectors as objects that represent physical entities that have both a magnitude and a direction. And that's absolutely fine, and if that's as far as you ever want to go in your understanding of vectors, they'll still be useful tools for you. However, if you proceed a bit farther in vectors and move on to tensors, you'll understand why scalars and vectors belong to a larger set of objects called tensors and why those tensors have been called the facts of the universe. In order to understand that, you'll have to go beyond thinking of vectors as objects with magnitude and direction and begin to think about how quantities transform from one coordinate system to another. When you do that, you'll find out that there's more than one type of vector component. But in order to understand that, you've got to first make sure you're on solid ground with transformations. That's why the first parts of this chapter deal with transformations. Section 4.1 begins on page 97, and the first question asked there is what happens to a vector when you change the coordinate system in which you're representing that vector? The answer is nothing happens to the vector, but the vector components may change depending on exactly what transformation you've done to your coordinate system. So this section is about how you figure out what happens to the vector's components when you transform the coordinates. At the bottom of page 97 and the top of page 98, there's a little discussion just to make sure you're on solid ground when it comes to understanding why the vector itself doesn't change. And I use the analogy there of tilting your head and looking at the room you're in. The room itself hasn't changed, but what you call the top of the room and the bottom of the room will change if you use your new tilted head coordinate system. Likewise, if you move through the room and you call your head the origin of coordinates, all the coordinates of objects in the room will change. But the room itself remains invariant while you're tilting your head or moving your origin. It's very much like expressing a scalar quantity using different units. For length, using inches rather than meters. For temperature, using Fahrenheit or centigrade. The size of the object or the temperature of the room haven't changed. What's changed is simply your way of representing it. So a good way to start thinking about this is to use something pretty straightforward, such as a 2D Cartesian coordinate system in which you rotate the axes. That's shown on the bottom of page 98 in figure 4.1. Notice in that figure the origin has not changed, but the x and y axes have been rotated through angle theta rigidly, so they're still at 90 degrees. And I drew the tilted axes using dashed lines and called them x prime and y prime rather than x and y, so you can make sure to differentiate them from the original coordinate axes. Now what we're really interested in is what happens to a vector's components when we do a rotation like this. And to get into that, look on page 99 at figure 4.2, where you can see vector A in the A part of the figure. I've shown the A sub X and A sub Y, the two components of vector A, in the original coordinate system. And in the B part of the figure, you can see A sub X prime and A sub Y prime, which are the components of A relative to the new tilted coordinates. Notice vector A itself is unchanged. 
Its length is the same. It's pointing in the same direction. Clearly, the angle from the x-axis is different from the angle from the x-prime axis, but vector A is pointing in the same direction and has the same magnitude in both coordinate systems. Notice that before we tilted the coordinate systems, the a sub x component looked to be a little shorter than the a sub y component, but in the new tilted coordinate system, a sub x prime, which now of course goes along the x prime axis, is bigger than a sub y prime, which points along the y prime axis. So you have some idea just by looking at the graphs what you expect to happen to the components of vector A when you tilt the axes by this amount. Of course, had we continued tilting the axis, we would have gotten to a point where the x prime axis lays entirely along the same direction as the vector A points, in which case the entire length of A would have become the x prime component and there would be no ay prime, or technically ay prime would be equal to zero. So how do you determine exactly what ax prime and ay prime are? Well, you can do it graphically. There's a much simpler approach using the dot product, which you can read about later. But for now, this section is going to deal with the graphical approach. Before you get into that, one thing worth noting is that both ax and ay, that is both the components in the original coordinate system, contribute to ax prime. Likewise, both ax and ay, that is both components in the original coordinate system, contribute to ay prime. To see how that works, take a look at figure 4.3, which occupies all of page 100 in the text. I've made a call out of the inner region so you can see what's going on in there. Both of these figures deal with the a sub x prime component, and a similar analysis could be done to determine the a sub y prime component using the same graphical techniques. But let's go through this one together. Take a look at the top or a part of the figure, and you can see the vector a moving up and to the left. If you look in the zoomed in part, there you'll notice you can see that the x prime axis has been rotated. The angle shown between the x prime axis and the original x axis is called alpha sub 1 1. You'll see the reasons for the subscripts here in a minute. Notice that the a sub x prime component runs along the x prime axis, as it should, and it's shown here as being made up of two lengths, which are labeled L1 and L2. You can see pretty easily what L1 is by looking at the angle alpha 1 1. I dropped a little perpendicular there between the x prime axis and the x axis, making this a right triangle, and from that you should be able to see that L1 is simply a sub x, the original x component, which is the hypotenuse of that little triangle, times the cosine of alpha 1 1. That's written on page 101 as equation 4.2. But if you want to know the a sub x prime component, you also need to know the length of segment L2. That's what the b part of the figure is about. If you look in the callout portion of the b part of this figure, you can see alpha 1 2, first of all look at it near the origin. It's the angle from the x prime axis to the y axis. Remember, alpha 1 1 was from the x prime axis to the x axis. This one is from the x prime axis to the y axis. I've moved the segments L1 and L2, just transported them in parallel up to a higher location on the y prime axis so that we can make a different triangle to help us determine the length of segment L2. Notice, by moving L1 and L2 up higher, we've now got a parallelogram in there which makes it clear that alpha 1, 2 is not only the angle between the y-axis and the x-prime axis there at the origin, it's also the angle between the tip of the arrow labeled a sub x-prime and the tip of the arrow labeled a sub y. You should be able to convince yourself of that by looking at the parallel lines that are the x-prime axis and the L1, L2 segment line. 
If that angle, alpha 1, 2, up there at the tips of Ay and Ax prime, that's angle alpha 1, 2, then we can see that L2, the length of that segment, using the right triangle that has A sub y as the hypotenuse, L2 must be equal to Ay times the cosine of alpha 1, 2. That's written out on page 101 as equation 4.3. So now you've got both L1 and L2, and you can simply add those together to get the length of A sub x prime. On page 101, that's equation 4.4, where a sub x prime is L1 plus L2. We get L1 from equation 4.2. We get L2 from equation 4.3, and they're added there together in equation 4.4. As we suspected, the a sub x prime component depends not only on the original a sub x component, but also on the original a sub y component. As a matter of fact, what we say is that the new components are a weighted linear combination of the old components. Weighted because the cosine functions provide a factor by which these components are multiplied. Linear because the original components appear to the first power. And combination because we're adding them together. As I said, a similar analysis gives you a sub y prime. The result is written in equation 4.5 at the bottom of page 101, and it says a sub y prime is a sub x, the original x component, times the cosine of alpha 2, 1, plus a y times the cosine of alpha 2, 2. You can probably guess what alpha 2, 1 and alpha 2, 2 are based on the definitions of the other angles, but it's also written right below equation 4.5 that alpha 2, 1 is the angle between the y prime axis and the x axis, and alpha 2, 2 is the angle between the y prime axis and the original y axis. The two equations 4.4 and 4.5 can be written very conveniently in a matrix equation, and that's done at the top of page 102 in equation 4.6. Remember, if you're not clear on how that equation says exactly the same thing as equations 4.4 and 4.5, look on the book's website. There will be a review of matrices there. Okay, so 4.6 tells us that the column matrix containing a sub x prime and a sub y prime is equal to the 2 by 2 matrix of the cosine factors times the column vector a sub x and a sub y. This is called a transformation equation because you plug in your old components on the right side, plug in your angles, and you get your new components on the left side. By the way, that 2 by 2 matrix in the middle is called the transformation matrix for this transform, and the elements of it, those cosines, are called the direction cosines. Now we started out this exercise by saying we were rotating rigidly through an angle theta, and that means we can simplify this slightly. If, in fact, we've rotated both the x-axis and the y-axis by angle theta, then you know that both alpha 1, 1 and alpha 2, 2 are equal to theta, and you can determine that alpha 1, 2 is 90 minus theta, and alpha 2, 1 is 90 plus theta, so you can plug those in to the matrix in equation 4, 6, and you'll get the left side of equation 4, 7 on page 102. But you know what cosine of 90 minus theta is? It's the sine of theta and you know the cosine of 90 plus theta is minus the sine of theta. When you make those substitutions, you get the matrix that's on the right side of equation 4.7, and that's the transformation matrix for a rigid counterclockwise rotation through an angle theta of the 2D Cartesian axes. If you want to see that matrix in operation, there's an example starting with equation 4.8, which just defines a vector, A, which has 5i hat and 3j hat. That's shown in figure 4.4. If you look in the A portion of the figure, there you see vector A, and you see its AX component and its AY component. What if we rotate the axes not a small amount, 
but a large amount, in this case, let's say 150 degrees. Now you've got those dashed axes labeled X prime and Y prime. Got to make sure you keep track of which axis is which. The X axis has gone from pointing to the right all the way around past the Y axis to where it's pointing up and to the left. Likewise, the Y axis, which was pointing straight up, is now the Y prime axis pointing down and to the left. You can see in the B part of the figure, the new components of vector A, vector A hasn't changed, but the components along the X prime axis and the Y prime axis are going to be very different than the original components A sub X and A sub Y. For one thing, they're both going to be negative. Take a look at where A sub X prime is pointing. It's down and to the right, but the X prime axis points up and to the left. So that's a negative value. Likewise, A sub Y prime points up and to the right, but the Y prime axis points down and to the left. So A sub Y prime is going to be negative also. And where A sub X was bigger than A sub Y looks on this like A sub X prime will be a smaller negative value than A sub Y prime. Just by looking at the figure, you can get some idea of what you should get for an answer. To go through the math, look on page 103. By the way, figure 4 or 5 at the top of 103, I've reiterated what the different angles are. So there you see alpha 1, 1 between X prime and X, alpha 1, 2 between X prime and Y, alpha 2, 2 between Y prime and Y, and alpha 2, 1 between Y prime and X. If you work through those angles carefully, you should be able to see that alpha 1, 1 is 150 degrees, alpha 1, 2 is 60 degrees, Alpha 2, 1 is 240 degrees, and Alpha 2, 2 is 150 degrees. So we can plug these in to our original transformation equation, which is 4.6 on page 102, and we get equation 4.9 on page 103. If you then use the matrix multiply, you find A sub X prime is given by equation 4.10, and that works out to minus 2.8. And when you multiply the second row of the transformation matrix by AX and AY, put in the values, you get equation 411, which says A sub Y prime is equal to negative 5.1. Those are both negative, as we expected, and A sub Y prime is in fact bigger than A sub X prime, as we also suspected. By the way, you may be wondering why I went through the trouble of figuring out alpha 11 and alpha 12 instead of simply using equation 4.7 and putting in theta equals 150 degrees. I only did that so you could see what those angles are. You could, in fact, have used the right side of equation 4.7, put in 150 degrees for theta, and you would have gotten exactly the same answers for a sub x prime and a sub y prime. At the bottom of page 103, there's a little reminder that the transformation equation has not rotated the vector A. It has not changed the vector A in any way. It has simply found the values of the components of A in the new, that is, rotated coordinate system. I'm emphasizing that at this point because you might be thinking, what if I apply this transformation to the i-hat basis vector of my original coordinate system and to the j-hat basis vector of my original coordinate system? You can certainly do that. We can apply the transformation matrix. That's done on the top of page 104. And notice first we do it for the i-hat vector. You know what the i-hat vector components are. 1 for the x component and 0 for the y component. So that's done in equation 412. And you get negative 0.866 for the x prime component and negative 0.5 for the y prime component. Now it's really important that you remember what those are. Look down on the bottom of page 104 in figure 4.6. And there you see the original i-hat vector that is along the original x-axis. And by going through this transformation matrix, equation 412, we have found the components of i-hat in the x-prime and y-prime coordinate system. So there's x-prime, which is negative 0.866, and there's y-prime, which is negative 0.5 in the new coordinate system. 
And we can do the same thing for j hat. Equation 413 at the top of page 104 applies the transformation matrix to the j hat vector, which has x component of 0, y component of 1. And when you do that, equation 413 tells you the answer comes out positive 0.5 for the x prime component and negative 0.866 for the y prime component. You can see those in the B part of figure 4.6. There's J hat in the original coordinate system going straight up the Y axis. There's X prime component of that vector J hat in the new coordinate system. And there's the Y prime component of J hat also in the rotated coordinate system. What we just did is perfectly valid. We have found the components of the original basis vectors I hat and J hat in the new coordinate system. But what we have not done is to rotate those basis vectors so that they point along the new axes. Instead, we have found the components in the new coordinate system. You know that these cannot be the new basis vectors i hat prime and j hat prime pointing along the x prime and y prime axes because in the new coordinate system i hat prime must have x prime component of 1 and y prime component of 0. So we have not found the new basis vectors. We have found the components of the original basis vectors in the new coordinate system. Rigid rotation of Cartesian axes is only one type of coordinate system transformation. There are many others, but you can use this same transformation matrix approach as long as the new components can be written as the weighted linear combination of the old components. As you can read on the top of page 105, this kind of transformation is called an inverse or passive transformation in which you're rotating the axes but leaving the vector the same. And it's written as a matrix equation in equation 414 where it says the components of the same vector, vector A in this case, in the new system are the inverse transformation matrix times the components of that vector in the original system. So that's all fine, but you may be thinking, what if I did want to rotate the vector or turn my old i hat j hat into the i hat prime j hat prime that point along the new axes? You can certainly do that. And in order to understand how to do that, you have to look at the next section, which is called basis vector transformation. Because unlike the inverse or passive transformations of this section, the next section is going to be about direct or active transformations in which instead of rotating the coordinate system, we're going to rotate the vectors themselves. Section 4.2 begins on page 105, and the first paragraph just reviews what happened in the previous section, which is that when you rotate the coordinate system, the vector doesn't change, but its components do, and the new components are the weighted linear combination of the old components. So the reason this section deals with a different type of transformation is that when you read about tensors, you will invariably run into words like covariant and contravariant components, and I believe this is the right point to talk about what those mean. What you'll probably read is that the covariant components of a vector transform in the same way as basis vectors, while the contravariant components transform in the opposite way from the way the basis vectors transform. Those are perfectly true statements, but there's a very important distinction going on here that isn't always made clear. And that is, the word transformation is being used in two different ways when you read statements like that. Specifically, when we talk about the way vector components transform, we're talking about what we've just done in section 4.1. That is, changing our coordinate system, but leaving the vector the same, and asking what happens to the components. 
And when we then talk about how the basis vectors transform, we're using the word transform to mean the direct or active transform of physically turning the original basis vectors into the new basis vectors. In the case of rotation, rotating them to where they point along the new coordinate axes. So yes, you can talk about covariant components transforming like the basis vectors and contravariant components transforming in an opposite way from the basis vectors, as long as you remember, when we say transformation of basis vectors, we're talking about active or direct transformations, whereas when we talk about the way the components transform, we're talking about inverse or passive transformations. That's all described on the bottom of page 105 and the top of page 106, and it's there as a lead-in to how you do the active transformation of rotating a vector into a new position, so it becomes a new vector. To understand that, look down at the bottom of page 106 at figure 4.7. In the A part of the figure, there's vector A not doing much. In the B part of the figure, A has become dashed, and a new vector A prime appears, which is what happens to A when you rotate it through the angle shown in the B part of the figure. So now, we're no longer rotating the coordinate system and asking what happened to the components. We're rotating the vector to a new position, which makes it the new vector A prime. You can find the components of vector a prime in the standard way. Notice in the middle of page 106, it says a sub x is the magnitude of a cosine theta. Remember, as it said in the earlier chapters, this only works if you use theta as the angle from the positive x-axis proceeding in a direction toward the positive y-axis, that is counterclockwise in a right-handed coordinate system. Likewise, a sub y is the magnitude of a times the sine of theta. To understand the components of A prime, take a look on the top of page 107 at figure 4.8. Now I haven't rotated the vector quite as far to make this a little easier to see the angles. There you see vector A at an angle theta from the x-axis, and it has rotated through an angle called alpha to a new angle theta prime with respect to the x-axis. There's vector A prime at angle theta prime from the x-axis. If you look carefully at this, you can see that theta plus alpha must equal theta prime, because the angle theta of the original vector a from the x-axis gets added to the amount by which we rotated at alpha to get the new angle to the x-axis, which is called theta prime. And back in the middle of page 106, you can see a sub x prime is the magnitude of a prime cosine theta prime, and the a y prime component is magnitude of a prime sine of theta prime. Now in the next set of equations, I simply used the fact that theta prime is alpha plus theta, as I mentioned a minute ago, and that gives the two equations shown at the bottom of page 106, in which a sub x prime and a sub y prime are written out in terms of the magnitude of the vector and the cosines and sines of the various angles. But we know that we only rotated the vector and we did not change its length, so the magnitude of a, the original vector, and the magnitude of a prime, the rotated vector, must be the same. When you plug that into those equations, you get the equations at the top of page 107. Now we can set the magnitudes equal to each other and simplify this quite a bit with the result that a sub x prime is a sub x cosine alpha minus a sub y sine alpha, and a sub y prime is a sub x sine alpha plus a sub y cosine alpha. Putting that into a matrix equation, you get the results shown in equation 415. Now this is not the same as the matrix equation we had in the previous section. You have to look very carefully at this, but you'll notice that there are some subtle differences. Again, we still have a sub x prime and a sub y prime on the left, a sub x and a sub y, a column vector on the right, and a 2 by 2 transformation matrix in the middle. 
This transformation matrix is doing a different thing. It is not turning the coordinate system and asking for the components of the same vector in the new coordinates. This is taking the vector A and rotating it into a new position, that is, making it into vector A prime. And we haven't changed the coordinate system, so these components still pertain to the original coordinate system. It hasn't moved. Only the vector has changed. To see how this works, there's an example at the bottom of page 107 in which we take our same old A vector, 5i hat plus 3j hat, and rotate it through 150 degrees. That's more like the angle shown in the original figure, 4.7, on the bottom of page 106. When I plug in the value of alpha as 150 degrees, multiply it by the vector components 5 and 3, you get the components in the original coordinate system of the new vector A prime, and they come out minus 5.83 for the x component and minus 0.10 for the y component. That's equation 416 at the bottom of page 107. So what that means is that we've taken our original vector A and made a new vector A prime that lies almost entirely along the negative x-axis. This is expressed using the same i hat and j hat that we used to express our original vector because the coordinate system has not changed. You can do the same thing to the original basis vectors i hat and j hat if you'd like. You can rotate those by 150 degrees also. That's shown on page 108. There you can see in equation 417 that i sub x prime and i sub y prime, that is the rotation rotated i hat vector is simply this direct transformation matrix that we use to rotate vector a times the original i hat vector which has x component of 1 and y component of 0 and we get negative 0.866 for the x part and positive 0.5 for the y part. You can see that in figure 4.9 at the top of page 108 i hat originally laid along the x axis we've now rotated it 150 degrees to where it's a new vector I call it i hat prime it's now pointing up and to the left. It's got a negative x component of 0.866 and a positive y component of 0.5. You can do the same thing to the original j hat unit vector. That's equation 418 on page 108. And it turns out that j sub x prime and j sub y prime equals minus 0.5 and minus 0.866 as you can see on the right side of equation 418 and again if you look up at figure 4.9 in the b part there you see we've taken our original j hat vector which was pointing straight up the y-axis rotated it down around 150 degrees to where it's now pointing down and to the left it has a negative x part and a negative y part so here we have the components of the new vectors, i hat prime and j hat prime, expressed in the same original coordinate system in which i hat and j hat were expressed as 1, 0, and 0, 1, respectively. And the last paragraph on the bottom of page 108 says if you want to rotate basis vectors so they point in different directions, you can use this active or direct transformation matrix approach that's written out on the top of page 109. New basis vectors are equal to the direct transformation matrix times the original basis vectors. That's equation 419. Once again, we've done two different operations. In section 4.1, we rotated the coordinate system and asked what are the components of the same old vector in the new coordinate system. In section 4.2, we rotated vectors, either vector A or the basis vectors, i hat and j hat, into new vectors, and we've asked what are the components of those new vectors in the original coordinate system. The entire point of the next section, 4.3, is simply to compare those two operations. 
The next section, 4.3, is a short little section beginning on page 109. The goal of this section is to help you understand the difference between the passive transformation matrix that we used in section 4.1 to find the vector components of the same vector in the new coordinate system and the direct or active transformation that we used in section 4.2 to rotate vectors and express their components in the original coordinate system. The two types of transformation are shown in the bottom half of page 109 from equation 4.7, the inverse transformation matrix, and from equation 4.15, the direct transformation matrix for rotating vectors. An interesting thing happens if you multiply those two matrices together. That's shown at the top of page 110, where the inverse transformation is shown on the left, the direct on the right, and when you multiply them together, you get 1001, the identity matrix. Whenever you multiply two matrices together and get the identity matrix, it means that one of the matrices is the inverse of the other one. And it's the inverse relationship between the transformation matrix that rotates the basis vectors and the transformation matrix that finds the new vector components that cause people to say some vector components transform inversely or against the way the basis vectors transform. But as you'll see later in this chapter, there's another kind of vector component which transforms in the same way as the basis vectors transform. There's no distinction between those two types of vector components for the orthogonal Cartesian coordinate systems we've been using. But when you start dealing with coordinate systems in which the axes are not perpendicular, then the two types of vector component, those that transform with the basis vectors and those that transform against the basis vectors, become very important. To help you understand that, the next section will deal with non-orthogonal coordinate systems. That section and two more are the subject of the next podcast.